0: Episode 478 of The Sausage Factory. In this episode, I interviewed Vitaltus Ruskus, project manager at Sneaky Box, and Jason Polanski, producer from Atari, to chat about the homage to the arcade classic Berserk in the form of Berserk Recharged. I remember way back when it was a wee nipper seeing a video, um like an advert. There was an ad. For the Atari 2600 or Atari VCS is also known back in the day. And it had this little man running through a maze shooting robots. And I was just, my mind was blown. But yeah, this is a reimagining of a classic. They, they added bits to it, but not too much. Not to dilute the original core premise of the game. It's still a flip screen. There's no scrolling. it's still that sense of urgency where Big Otto is his big Ball thing starts jumping towards you, which is, you know, vulnerable to all attacks. It will kill you as soon as it touches you. So, yeah, it's all of that is there in Berserk Recharged. Now, you're going to hear, you would have already heard a piece of music from uh, Megan McDuffie. She's um, written a lot of pieces uh, for the Atari Recharged games. And there's a link to her her, um, Bandcamp website so you can have a look and uh, maybe buy a few tracks here and there. So, without further ado, let's listen to me find a relatively recent past talk to Vitaltus and Jason about the creation of Berserk Recharged. Chris, take it away. Hello, Jason and Vitatus.
1: Hello. Hey there. Could you tell us who you are and what you do? Uh, let's start with jason maybe right?
2: <laughs> oh wow okay got it i thought yeah fair enough okay i am jason polanski i am a producer at atari and i have worked on and i've been the producer on all of the recharge games so we just launched berserk recharge that'll be the 10th title i was also the producer on plenty of other titles that we've released over the last uh couple of years since we've done our shift to premium production so games like uh, so for example games that came out this year in addition to the Recharge titles like Quantum and Caverns of Mars, it was also Aka-R, uh, Pixel Rip 1978, and Days of Doom, which was also developed by Sneaky Box with Vitutas as the producer. So this is my first video.
1: Yeah, and I'm um, Vitutas, not going to say my surname because that won't make sense to the uh, most of the world. Uh, but yeah, I'm Vitutas, I'm a producer at SneakyBox, uh, we're from Lithuania, so uh, pretty close to Chris over here. And yeah, I've been working with Atari for over three years now, I think, on multiple Days of Doom titles and just recently on Berserk Recharged. So yeah, that's me.
0: Yes, you have been very busy and it's been wonderful seeing these old games reemerge. And uh, it kind of reminds me of what's going on in another part of the video game industry where people are making games for what seem to be dead platforms. I'm sure you two are familiar with it. And we're still making games in NES and they're still making Commonwealth 64. And it reminds me of the kind of like, it's not, you're making for modern platforms. Can't stress that enough for everyone, but I, I get the, the same spirit from what you're doing. It's the same for, for those people making those things. I'm sure, hopefully you agree, but uh, do you think there's some crossover there?
2: Yeah, I think so. Um, it, it actually kind of corresponds to, I mean, Atari's message as well in a current, Day and age where we are looking at things like preservation and picking up old ips and getting those onto modern platforms i mean we we kind of i think they pair well together right because you have multiple generations of people with different expectations so you could have a product like atari 50 that came out last year and that is the it's almost giving you that education of and the context of why those old games exist and for the people who are familiar with them and have that nostalgia that, that is something that resonates with them. Whereas you get younger and younger gamers coming into the fold, their expectations and how they play games has changed as well. So something like Recharge becomes a companion piece to those things in being a version of those games that exist developed for those modern platforms.
1: So. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess to myself, I think I even remember playing those games as a kid on like Flash platforms. So getting to touch the classic, which started it all, is also really fun experience. And then bringing it back to current day life and sharing that experience with newer players is also really fun to do.
2: Yeah. I think, I think the other thing on that, when you're talking about new title development on those older platforms, it's, it's kind of cool. And I think that has a different resonance for different generations as well. So that nostalgia level, I've been kind of wrapping my head around this recently, especially as, you know, we picked up a company like Night Dive, right? That's remastering all these games from the from the late 90s or two, early 2000s of this. And it's like, those are the kind of things that resonate with someone like me because that's my time of nostalgia. So when I see games like pixel art from anything from like Super Nintendo and beyond, I'm like, oh yeah, that looks great. Let's check it out. So if you give me new content like that and it has those modern, um, you know, those modern sensibilities wrapped in a nostalgic package like yeah i'm gonna check it out some of my favorite games of the last few years have been some uh some pixel art style games uh that look like they could run on a you know on snes yeah yeah
0: minus the flickering though oh yeah of course (laughs) now do you miss it though do you miss it it, sometimes (laughs) (laughs) now um the next question i'm gonna go back on script here but i just had to ask that because it was a unique aspect of what you guys are doing is um gonna go still back into history now, but find out about your personal roots in the video game industry. So Jason and Tatus, if you could uh, go through this, what are your um what are your roots? How did you make your start making video
1: games? Oh God, um, I think it happened a bit randomly at the start, uh, because if I remember correctly, I was just looking for any kind of job, but then I knew a few people who were making games uh in, in the industry in lithania because the industry is really small uh, or was really small at the start uh like six years ago or whenever i joined in the team and they suggested me to that i should jump in as a qa person and one of the projects and then i just didn't think i would have the ability to work in the games even though the games was uh, uh, something i was interested from the childhood of the self even whenever i got my first uh, desktop you know i started playing games and, and and got into that i even remember like having PC Gamer Journal, which was released in Lithuania, which I would, you know, buy every single month. And then they had all these demos installed on one -one CD. And I think that was the one of the only ways in Lithuania to get to play these new games because, you know, buying those was not an option at that moment. So I definitely had the interest, but I never thought I would, you know, get into the industry so fast. But then there was like this random offer for a job which I jumped in and then yeah since six years ago I, I just loved it every every minute of it so yeah I'm still here <laughs> so that was awesome
2: for me it actually if it's one of those things I think as if you're a kid playing games uh, or anything I, I mean any sort of entertainment medium right you Kind of had that weird fantasy where you like aspire to do this kind of thing, right? Where it's like, oh, I'd love to make games. But then it's like you kind of, you know, you enter school, you do these things like, oh, I don't know if I could do it or not. Like I'm someone who had a, I, had a, I have a marketing degree, right? And that's, that's my background. But along the way, I actually, when I was in school, I wrote video game reviews for my school magazine. And I was also, while I was working at GameStop uh, part time. So I was always like fully immersed and I never really lost the love and, uh, and even that critical eye for it. So, when I had a so my first job out of school was actually working for a marketing agency uh, called the Game Agency. They've since been uh, acquired, but that that company, the purpose of it was to make games selling to sell products. So, like they were basically a marketing agency that made advert games, and that was my first job. Oddly enough, that whole company was founded by former Atari alums. So it's kind of interesting how it comes full circle. Like the the regime of people that were working here when I started at Atari six years ago, were the they were like, oh yeah, we know those guys, we knew those guys, even though it's been it was like a long time since uh, since I worked there. But I was basically there, and I cut my teeth in the industry working on. Working on a bunch of Adver games. Uh, I was a producer at that company working on uh, some pretty wild IPs in retrospect, making games for like the first one I did was a US Army game. <laughs> it was interesting. <laughs> um, and then I, I got to make a game for Nerf. Uh, it was like an augmented reality game back in 2012, which is kind of crazy. Um, Beyblades, which actually had like over a million downloads and it's you can't get it anymore because um they had to release because they released a beyblade game that actually was intended to make money ours was just free and it was meant to sell beyblades and i even did games for people like the like oreo and wendy's when they came out with an oreo frosty that's like one most obscure one and these games were largely like uh web and mobile based and then after that, I I took a break because that was a pretty scrappy company. I was like the sixth employee or so and, you know, kind of flying by the seam of your pants, doing the, doing the agency life. And um, and I took a break to go into more like traditional digital production, um, working on some larger scale projects, but, you know, mostly websites. And then I decided I wanted to get back in the game. So I, you know, tried to, I mean, I always wanted to get back to the game. So that was always the desire, right? I still have the passion, still love it. And opportunity for Atari opened up. With some people that I used to work with at the game agency, and they haven't looked back ever since. They're not really worth getting too much into it, but you know, it's kind of like two halves of the last six years where the first half was largely focused on free to play and mobile, and then the last three years have been really, really great and uh, transformative working on a an enormous suite of premium titles, which is you know, more my personal interest lie as well as I play those kind of games myself.
0: Yes, we live in exceptional times, don't we? And also, going back to your encountering people who know the the, the practice you worked for previously, it's like, yeah, yeah, never burn those bridges. Jason. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah it's... <laughs> it's very small. Oh,
1: also, I guess a yes. little funny story about encountering people from the past. So uh, I mentioned the games uh, LT journal that was, you know, being released every month. And just this past month, I went to one of the conferences in in Poland. And I actually met the guy who was the redactor behind that actual journal, which I was buying as a kid. So that was a really fun, fun to thing to meet him in, in person and talk about it. Uh, so yeah, Fantastic. just, just you, you meet the industry people.
0: <laughs> so this next question will probably be tackled from both of you individually from different places, but it's still relevant. And it's a very important question, but it's a tough one to answer. The next question is this, as creators, which you are, what are your biggest influences?
2: You know, it's funny. I, I don't want to – I'm on the publishing side, right? So I don't want to take necessarily um, ownership or anything. I mean, I, you know, I take ownership for all the games that we ship, of course. Um, it's got our name on it. Uh, but the – so as far as leading production, though, on our side, like I, I don't take lead responsibility of creative process. That said, I think uh, – you know, I do think of myself as creatively minded – and what inspires me creatively it could really come from anywhere right like and it, and it's more for me like kind of giving feedback along the way for various projects or if there's an idea of being like oh maybe we do something like this and explore it and then you know most likely doesn't happen, but generally speaking, going along the way, as I'm working with on specific projects, I'll get inspired for different things that can enhance it or that I think could be a, a good idea, and then that's up to the developers to, uh, to to take it or leave it, right? But that inspiration can really come from literally anywhere. There's not one sole source. I was in a car once. There there was a project that I was thinking of that we were thinking about pursuing. We didn't end up doing it, but. I was thinking about, but I was in the car listening to it in an Uber and the guy was playing some crazy, some song. And I was like, what is this song? I've never heard any kind of music like this. So I, you know, did the whatever Shazam like thing and said, find out what song it is and wrote it down and be like, this would be cool. If we do this project, we should do music like this because that would create a very cool vibe. Similarly, I just, you know, most generically, I get inspired by other games. You know, there it's constant where. I play as many games as possible and try to find new experiences that really grab me and be like, wow, Like th- this is the kind of thing you want to aspire for. This is the kind of emotions you want to make people feel. Or like, just get more juices gro- going, even if it's not explicitly tied to a specific direction. It just gets you excited about being in the art of making games itself. A game that most recently did it was Cocoon. I mean, playing that game, it, you were just like, Oh wow, like this is this is crazy. Like there are still new gameplay concepts that can exist. And that is that's very cool and exciting to and makes you and makes you motivated to do more of
1: that. Yeah. Well I don't really have much to add to what Jason just said because it's it's definitely the truth. I think I might mention just some things that also worked for us as a team, you know, getting inspiration. This was not specifically on Berserk, but it was more of a Days of Doom thing where uh, we had this day, which we call in Lithuanian Maklu Day, uh, where we uh, team takes one of the currently implemented features and then j- they do whatever they want with it, Just just one day in the month. And after that happens, the next day, they present what has uh, been done on the future, how it impacts the game. And if the rest of the team like it, we just do it. We implement it to the game. We suggest to Jason, hey, look, uh, we changed something up. Do you like it? "Yeah, Yeah, sure, let's go with it. So there's a lot of communication, the team going on, Uh, just colleagues uh, talking with them sharing your ideas i think a lot of inspiration comes from just talking with people Uh, i guess even you know going out to a bar after work with with friends and and talking about games is also definitely one of uh, those things where you can uh, or places where you can get inspiration Um, so yeah a a lot of things can inspire you and of course uh, other games you, you look at what works what doesn't uh, what you could do, uh, which would also work in your own game, um, but yeah, when it comes to Berserk or Recharge titles, uh, there's it's a bit different because you still have to, you know, stay to the original and stay to the original idea, so you can't really do anything. So uh, the the process is a bit different in that case because you still, you know, have to meet the the original and what players could expect from you. So yeah,
0: yeah, Berserk the cart racer really wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't work too much well maybe who knows who knows something in the future um i
2: gotta i gotta send an email to cancel so
0: So, um again related to what you talk about like being inspired by other games just kind of like the next question feeds into that um what video game developer do you admire most and why
1: oh um I guess at times uh, in 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 the history uh, it was it was uh, Bethesda whenever I uh, played the Oblivion uh, for the first time. So I think that was one of the biggest inspirations to to, to create games uh, for me. Um, then of course Skyrim uh, to me personally was great, even though you know some people like it, some people don't. Some want the classics, some don't. So I think in, in the past that was the the biggest. Uh, the biggest company I looked forward to to any game they came out with. Um, then there were times I was a big fan of CDPR with The Witcher coming out. That was a big big hit. So I think I just kind of followed the trend with big triple AAA releases. Maybe I'm more of a mainstream guy. But yeah, that's me. Well, I, uh, and and another part of me is uh, I really like esports. So games like CS:GO, League of Legends, anything like that is also a big uh, thing which I follow and, and play myself. Uh, but yeah, that's just me. I think Jason has uh, quite a different answer on this one. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm actually just looking through my list of things to so say. I, I um, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is Insomniac. Like, that is, a, that is a developer who I've admired throughout, I mean, since since probably since I played the first Ratchet & Clank on PS2. I was late to getting a PS2, the order of that generation. I got a GameCube first. I grew up as a Nintendo kid, and I still am a Nintendo kid. That would be another one of my answers, which is, but I played through the whole trilogy. I got the Ratchet & Clank trilogy when uh, Up Your Arsenal came out, which is third in the series. So I played through with all three of them in a row. And the quantum leap from the original Ratchet & Clank to Going Commando was so substantial and crazy. I was like, wow, these guys get it. Like, they know how to how to make game. And those games all came out, you know, a year apart from each other. That was when games would be iterated on a year. I mean, that kind of carried over to the PS3 as well. And now that doesn't happen. But in the case of Insomniac, they keep a pipeline of games that is, like, unfathomable in a world of modern triple a which is crazy and they still keep the quality up all all across the board right so between spider-man miles morales and spider-man 2 which actually just finished last week like that was it's an incredible trio of titles um, they even got out a uh, new Ratchet and Clank game in there as well, uh, and that was amazing. Uh, I mean, that series is very close, uh, near and dear to my heart. I think they also did uh, like that Metroidvania game that they did. They uh, were you in a submarine. That was a lovely experience. Like these guys could really do it all. They are always consistent. They're always they're always hitting it out of the park. And um, yeah, I, I just you can't help but respect, especially being in the product in the producer role. You know, I, I often look at you know creative stuff and the gameplay experiences, that kind of stuff. Like, well, what was the end product, right? Sure, yeah, you're getting all that from Insomnia, but you're also getting a consistent development. They they have not sat out or had a one game generation, right? Like, that's just not something they've done, and it's uh, and it's really impressive and admirable. And then I want to I want to just make a quick shout out to two more. One, obviously Nintendo, um, who also fills that of like they. They're ad- they're admirable because they don't really seem to care what anybody else thinks. And yet they're always telling us what we want, even if we didn't know it ourselves. And it's like, we just want this. Just do that. Just do that. It's like, no, no, you're going to take whatever we're going to give you at a certain point, And that's it. You're like, all right, fair, I guess. Did you really? They probably could have turned out a Galaxy 3. They probably could have quickly turned out another Odyssey. But that's not their game. That's never what they wanted to do. And instead, you're going to be dazzled by something you've never seen before. And you're going to wait a while for it, but it's always worth it. Um, and that can most recently be seen with Mario Wonder. And then the last one I'd call it is, um, is RGG Studios. Ryu guy. Ga- Ga- I'm not even going to try to pronounce it because I'm going to sound like an idiot. But uh, the guys who make the Yakuza games, and most recently, the you know they changed the title Like a Dragon. Um, I've loved this series since the PS2 days. This is another team where you have to admire the production and how they've churned out these games and they always hit that quality and it's fully voiced and it's fully m- acted and it's like it is they they just always deliver incredible stories um incredible gameplay and they also aren't afraid to reinvent themselves like with making one a a term-based rpg like with the like a dragon a couple years back so um yeah those those would be my most admired studios
1: yeah, also one shout-out I, I remembered, which was a classic I, I really loved, well, uh, I guess. So it was Maxis Studio, uh, so it was part oh, of yeah. EA Games with the Spore. Uh, Spore, uh, yeah, that was something that blew my mind of how complex a game can be, but also how can it also be so simple at the same time. So, yeah, yeah that was definitely one of my favourites at the time.
0: Yeah, starting as an Amoeba to a Galaxy Spanning Race was, was Quite, quite an amazing thing that they managed Insane. to pull off. Um last question, the first half, and it's, it's kind of an easy one maybe, hopefully, but it might be a long list, but here we go. What are you playing right now?
1: Yeah, I yes, uh one of the games uh, that uh, had me hooked was Baldur's Gate, uh because that was a big release, so uh definitely still pr- playing through that. Another one, I like ARPGs as well. So Path of Exile uh, was something I got hooked on this past league. Uh, really fun league, really fun mechanic. Uh, uh, I think that was one of my uh, best playtimes throughout the past eight years of how long that game was out. So I uh, really loved it. Um, yeah, and I, as I said, I guess I, I still dabble in uh, League of Legends a bit from time to time. Not not, not hooked uh, or not, not doing it every day. Thankfully, uh, as it you know, it's uh, kind of a salt mine if you could could, could see. It, so, but yeah, uh, so I think those three are the uh, the games I'm playing right now.
2: Yeah, for myself, you know, I just mentioned RGG Studios. I literally just started Like a Dragon: Gaiden, the man who erased his name. I just started that last night, um, so I don't really have too much to say about it. Um, and i have also been playing Mario Wonder, which is phenomenal but what i really would want to talk about is the game i just finished prior to like a dragon which is Jusant. i uh, i got to play through that that was my kind of i only had three days really exactly i only really had three days sorry you, you didn't see it because we're on video but chris, no. chris just made like climbing motions with his hands <laughs> he was basically doing an imitation of the gameplay of Jusant. Um, yeah. between spider-man 2 and like a dragon i i look forward to like, i celebrate when yakuza or like a dragon games come out so I was like, well, nothing's gonna stop me from playing that on Thursday. So I have three days. I need to play something. What am I gonna do? And I heard great things about Jussant. The trailer captivated me. And I said, let's let's check this out. And that game is phenomenal. If you're not familiar with it, uh, because why would you be? The title is just kind of weird. I mean, they explain I guess it's a French word, they explain it at the, they defined it at the opening about like the receding tide. But the game is amazing. It 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 kind of does a similar thing that Cocoon did in the sense that, hey, here's a new way to play a game right here's a new gameplay twist and then it shows you all the ideas it has with the gameplay and then it over- and then it ends it's like perfect you guys did not outstay your welcome you did the thing and now it's over that that's i love a game like that one that respects your time and this is one where you know you have your your left hand grab and your right hand grab and you're uh, you're just climbing a mountain but it innovated on a system of climbing where you're just like what, what are you going to make a whole game around climbing like you do in uncharted or you know, the or, or something, or SAS has created. It's like, no, we've actually made a new climbing system that works specifically for the purpose of climbing. We made climbing the gameplay, and they do a very good job of it. And then the other thing they did that I absolutely loved was create a sense of depth and scale that I've never really seen a game. Like, I'm playing this on a, you know, like I play all my other, uh, you know, we'll call it the four K games, you know, non Switch games. I'll say mostly that's mostly handheld, but like on a sixty five inch OLED, and this is the first game that I played that actually gave me like a, a sense of vertigo in a way or height. Where I'm like, whoa, my stomach actually dropped, and I'm like swinging on this rope in this chasm. I'm like this is, this was awesome. So highly recommend Jusant. Uh, that was a that was a delightful experience and a and a great surprise for the year.
0: Yes, people keep nudging me to play that one. So thanks for reminding me, Jason. Appreciate you got it. Got it.
2: And it's not—it's not that intimidating. It's honestly not. Oh, very no, difficult.
0: no, no. It's
2: not like you know. You look at games like what is it, Quop, where you're kind of like controlling all the different limbs and things, and the and the goal is to make it impossibly difficult. No, it's not like that at all.
0: It's not Mario Friends. It's fine. It's no. Okay. <laughs> but It'll uh, be okay, you'll get through. Yeah, <laughs> I love the use of ropes as a checkpoint mechanic. pretty really funny. Uh, yeah. Very, very, very clever. But move on to the second part because we're here to talk about the third so let's do that First question, or a request, really, before we do that. Believe it or not, there's people out there who don't know what Berserk Recharged is. I know, shocking, but there it is. So tell us, what do you believe Berserk Recharged is?
1: So Yeah, I guess I'll just start out because uh, my, my uh, explanation explanation's a little bit shorter, and Jason can just fill it in, fill in the rest. Um, so yeah, Berserk, uh, Berserk Recharged is a remake of the classic, uh, which came out in 1980 which uh, includes, I guess, new modes, uh, some updated mechanics like power-ups and uh, new challenges where you can uh, compete with other, other players. And, of course, for those who like uh, getting every achievement in the game, uh, we also have that uh, prepared. Uh, there's a bunch of uh, new difficult levels uh, which uh, players can experience and uh, clear out uh, with maybe some hidden uh things and hidden maps. Uh, and yeah, then we also have the arcade mode, uh, which I guess was one of the classic things uh, about the game. Um, yeah, and Jason, uh, would you add uh, something else? <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: so Berserk Recharge, ultimately, there's two halves of it, right? There's the Berserk side, which is the 1980, and there's the Recharge side, which is the the modern take. And it's the 10th Recharge title. I like have mentioned that before. And it is the whole purpose of the franchise if you're not familiar if this is your first entry point into the recharge series is that the goal is not necessarily we kind of straddle this line right the goal is to create a game that is as you remember it not as it was And that's really what we're trying to instill at these. So with that comes, okay, well, what was the game trying to do? All right, let's try to do that. How do we fit it to modern devices? How do we, you know, embrace like the HD nature of it? And how do we also um, create something that controls and feels right so that if people are picking up a modern, if people who have only been playing games for a few years and only know the new stuff, they jump into this and they could easily pick up just as well as someone who knew the game in the 80s could come in and play it as well. Um, So... That's really what we try to do. We don't we we almost put restrictions on ourselves. We've had discussions a few times where we're like we want to do this and I have to be the bad guy to be like, "No, we're not going to do that. Uh, we can't do that because that's going to push too far. We're not making a, you know, Berserk 2 in a way or we're are like <laughs> not to be confused with Frenzy, right? We're not. Also, there's other things like that, right? The sequel is Frenzy. Where there was a few things, we take some elements of Frenzy, but there's a few that we're like, "Well, we're not going to do that because that's not berserk that's frenzy right so walking that line is tough but the it's really designed to be a straight all these games are meant to be straightforward arcade pick up and play as you remember them get acquainted with some of that um classic arcade gameplay um and then yeah that's kind of that's kind of it i think uh, i think that wraps it up
1: yeah, and I think just a few pillars to mention about uh, every the game is that, you know, you also have co-op, so you can play with friends. Mm-hmm. Uh It's a local co-op, so, of course, you can play on uh, your uh, PC or console or your preferred uh tool because it's pretty much on everything available. Uh Maybe except uh, phones, but maybe in the future. Right, Jason? <laughs> uh okay. And, uh, yeah, then there's uh, the... I guess, the updated movement so it's not uh, as clanky as it used to be. Uh, so I think those are kind of the the core elements uh, just to make it smoother but still have the same feeling or uh, same, same uh, vibe of the old ones.
0: That leads me very neatly onto my first design question for you. Because the one thing that struck me about a Berserk Recharge was its pace, almost speed, tempo, all those words related to speed and some movement it's it feels like to me you spent a lot of time on this aspect because it is about positioning yourself because you're a little fellow running around on this top down map kind of thing and there's a, sort of like a 2d sort of like three almost like a projection down with the walls showing which wasn't it didn't exist in previous games so that's, that's that's a lovely introduction but you're just having to be more not focused about what you where you are but where you're going. And I just want to ask you, how have you found making sure that the pace, because it isn't scrolling, it's a single screen, you engage with it, you do the thing, and you may run off early and you get yelled at, which is funny. <laughs> but you generally try to, it's a score chaser, everyone, by the way, so it's a score chasing game. So that's, you know, a thing that's returning, which is great. But you I just want to talk about that. Talk, talk us through the, the design of the speed of things and the pace and how you manage to... Get to where you are with it.
1: Well, I, I wouldn't say it's that in depth about you know how, how we came to to the conclusion of how the speech should work. Uh, it, it just took a lot of testing and and you know playthroughs and uh, testing it with different people, specifically in the company. Uh, maybe doing some feedback se- sessions with the Atari team uh, and and their uh, I guess uh, how do you call it uh, the Atari Jason? What's, help me out in here.
2: What's that? I don't even know what you're trying to get at
1: here. Uh, like whenever we send out the build to All you. Oh, the gauntlets? You have, yeah, yeah. Uh, this, I, got it. I just wanted to use that specific word. Oh, yeah. Sure. Uh, okay. Yeah. So just a lot of testing, a lot of feedback circles, uh, and and, and you, you just try to make uh, the gameplay feel smooth and feel good. So whenever you reach that point, you just say, okay, let's hope for the best, and hopefully everyone likes it too. Uh, so I think it's it's it works like that. I'm not, not sure if I have anything else to uh, to add, uh, Jason. There,
2: yeah, you know, it kind of goes back to the rest of the series and that kind of stuff as well, which is none of these games necessarily go one-to-one to what it was originally. Um, in some cases, it's faster. In some cases, it's slower. Like, it's kind of funny. The first one we did with Centipede, right? It feels quick. It feels snappy. It feels, like, super responsive and great. But it actually moves a little bit slower than the than the original game, which is, like... Way too fast, in my opinion, right? And then you have other things that move a bit faster, like um, I mean, like this one, or even I'd say something like uh, like asteroids or gravitar recharge. Like they move a little bit quicker um, than the than their inspiration as well. Um, for this, I think you look at it and you try to understand. Well, what would they have done? Right. You try and it's impossible to really answer that question, but you look at that and be like, OK, if you're going to have this type of game now, you have to also look at the contemporaries of the kind of game you're trying to build to uh, to rise to that occasion as well. So that's why you look at, you know, you look at the game back in the day and it was a multidirectional shooter and we made it a, a twin stick shooter. And with twin stick shooting comes certain expectations. So is it a? Is it more methodical? Is it slow? Is it or is it going to be more quick and zippy? Well, we are about that arcade gameplay, that fast paced arcade um, jump in, jump out gameplay, and I think that was very much a, a direction that the team wanted to go. I don't want to speak for the designer, but it's like that also keeps the through line not only for Berserk but also the Recharge series itself. There's only really one game that I could think of in the series where it's more like, all right, you just got to take it easy. Just relax, just go slow, and that's Gravatar. Everything else is like jump in, jump out. You're going to go, you know, we are we are going to kind of punish you pretty quickly early on because that is also the spirit of the original games as well, which is, hey, we're going to beat you fast.
0: Give us another quarter. <laughs> which leads yeah, me uh, on. Uh, yeah, sorry. Come on. Uh,
1: but- uh, and, uh, and I guess I just also wanted to add, you know, that at the start, it, it might feel, you know, quite fast and we wanted to go for that because you still want to experience to be a bit hectic, a bit, uh, have a bit of pressure. But also it's good to mention that whenever proceeding throughout the levels, enemies still do get faster. They get, uh, more tough. So the challenge increases. So I guess starting out a bit slower and then just going throughout the levels and, uh, getting a bit more of a challenge, uh, you know, fits, uh, more players and, uh, their, Uh, if they are looking for more challenge, they can get that throughout the game as well.
0: This does indeed, thank you for that extra feedback, because that does lead me to my next question, which is about difficulty. Berserk Recharge really, really does celebrate the increased ramping up of difficulty. It gets The first two or three or maybe four rooms are relatively straightforward, and all of a sudden the enemies become bullet sponges, which is great, like, oh, wait. You're going to take more than one. And you're shooting back at me? This is worse. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. And it's just, I just want to ask, how have you found designing that aspect and injecting that aspect of of the game into Because it, it can be quite jarring because a lot of people, they expect a very shallow curve. It's it's not, is it? It's very sharp. Uh, and uh, it doesn't put me off, don't get me wrong, but I just found it really quite refreshing to see that, to go, oh, no, I'm unashamed about this. we You're gonna have to, you know, step up to actually get any good at this. This
2: this question has to go back to, you know, the origins of the series, right? Because all the games are kind (laughs) of like this, as I mentioned. Where, uh, and I gotta give credit to uh, to Adam Nickerson, who. you know, him and I basically created the original Missile Command. Recharged back in 2020, March 2020, a pretty uneventful month in uh, in in uh, recent history. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's when it came out, and that and and Adam, he w- his design was appealing to me. His slogan for his games was always "Live, Die, Retry," right? So that was the approach when we did Missile Command, and then when we finally got the green light to do four more titles we carried on that same approach, which is you're going to jump in, you're going to you're going to do, it's going to quickly ramp up and then we're going to kill you. And then you go on it, but you immediately want to try it again, right? So it's balancing that line because you create that addictive loop, which is, I think I do a little better. If the line, if the time between starting around and getting to that point is too long, then you do risk that feeling of, I got to do all that again, you know, whereas the, you want to balance that because you don't want to make it impossible to make that, to, to breach that limit, but you want to reduce that time and, and balance it. So you can be like, yeah, I think, I think I could, I think I just do a little bit further. Then what's that? Just another, just another two minutes. Yeah, I got two minutes. All right, let's do it. Let's give that another shot. And that's, that's something that exists through all of these titles.
1: Yeah. yeah I, I was going to start out with mentioning that, you know, it's pretty similar to quantum uh, level of, uh, difficulty increase, where you you know start out slow, but then it really gets hectic. A lot of enemies are spawning on the screen. So I think uh, for Berserk, we took definitely a similar approach, where you start out quite slow. It seems all reasonable. You you can you know manage the, the time, even if you pl- the enemies, even if you're playing for the first time, and then you know it starts getting hectic. And then every ten rooms, or maybe it's full, well, I don't remember at the moment. Uh, it, it gets a, a, a little bit more difficult uh but this is specifically for arcade. while in the missions uh you know it's all premeditated it's all set up so uh if players are looking for a bit less of a challenge i would say you can get into missions go through all of those and you know you you can expect you can already know what you expect and uh I guess after trying two, three, five times, you will definitely beat those uh, rooms. Well, maybe uh, uh, except for know, some of them.
2: Some of them are pretty tough. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. like, <laughs> let's be real here. Some of those towards the end can be pretty difficult. But it is a very good training ground where, if you can get through missions, all the missions, then you're going to be able to do really well and get pretty far in arcade.
1: And that's why I also wanted to add. That, you know, uh, the staple of recharged games is having both. An arcade and mission uh, grant where you can uh, find uh, different difficulties, different play styles, and then go through those, uh, experiencing everything.
0: Yes, I found myself mixing between the two just to mix it up a bit rather than because I'm finally getting better at the arcade and learning that experience and putting it into the missions and vice versa. That's how I was playing it. Um, I found that really very rewarding and still Otto, the ever present threat, (laughs) as he comes bouncing on, like, really? Now, okay, <laughs> <laughs> just one more turret. No, no, you got to die. Fine. So you should welcome him. He's so he's always so happy. He's so he's happy. Just, he just Wants to hang out. He does. This one's a very very strong hug. Apparently, I want to talk about the aspects of the game which are, I believe, you may correct me on this, unique to Berserk. He be charged in that. There's a health bar. I don't remember yeah. that. Be-
1: uh, there are power-ups. power-ups. Uh, talking about health bar, there's also Iron Man modes. Yes. only gives you one health. So
0: there is, that. There, is, there is that. I've tried that out and I've done quite well because of my decades of playing Berserk. But yes, you're right. There is that. But you can have a health bar. There's also a dash mechanic where yeah. you can dodge out of the way. A bit of bullet hell going on there. I'm doing, all of a sudden, I'm channeling my Gradius experience and <laughs> dodging yeah. out of the way. Because um, yeah. that game, anyway, it's a whole different thing. But ultimately, I found it changing the risk reward mechanic it had a huge impact on that was that the intention or was it something you wanted to throw into the mix to see what happens
1: um i think one of the areas that it's definitely you know changing that up but also it feels like a bit more, more modern mechanic because in a lot of similar games you also have you know some sort of dashing or invul- vulnerability. Uh, mechanics. So just we wanted to introduce that. Uh, also, one of power-ups allows you to dash through walls. So that allows, uh, you know, avoiding encounters with enemies and just escaping to the next room. Uh, as for the health bar, there was a lot of discussion if we should only keep, you know, the, the classic one where you have one health. But then after, you know, talking that we still want to increase difficulty levels throughout the game, we decided that also allowing player to do a mistake or two is also something we should do because you know you go to I don't know like twentieth floor and then you get hit once and you die, even though enemies have two, three, maybe even more, you know, health bars or health points, uh would it just seem too difficult or too harsh. Uh so we decided that this would probably be uh the best way to also have the difficulty increase and then to allow the player to you know keep playing without having to get hit one. But if you want to do that, as I said, Iron Man mode always there. Yeah, the the other thing
2: I'll add to that is the health bar is an interesting one. You know, when we first launched uh, Centipede and those other games, it was literally one life, one hit and you're dead. That was it. You know, we recently we released updates that allowed you to have a three-life mode. And I think when you have these health bars, it's kind of a balance, right, between having multiple lives and having multiple hits. So for Berserk, I think we you know, we, we actually started putting in health bars in Caverns of Mars. That was the first one that had a health bar. Otherwise, if you died, you have to just, you know, you you respawn another place. Um, and Caverns of Mars had the uh, had the health bar. Then we carried that over to Quantum, and then we kept it on uh, Berserk. And I think it's a balance because people don't want to necessarily have that one life experience. I think some people do. I like it personally, but in the right context. I think a game like this, it's nice to have that balance of forgiving nature and to straight up kill somebody on every shot and restart them at the beginning of the at the beginning of the uh room or to just got to take a shot and move on um i think that keeps the pace of game moving uh, a bit quicker and captures the spirit of what we wanted to do um and it it also makes it feel a little more modern in in a way and then the dash as well i think uh, it spoke pretty well to that people like a dash you know why not
1: yeah, yeah, also talking about dash, there were like uh, a few design decisions. If you want to do a dash or like a sprint, which you just speed up and and do no dash, but we thought that dash, you know, is a bit more crispy, a bit more fun to use. And I guess about talking about health bars as well for co-op mode, that it makes it makes it easier to play in the co-op mode because you know you go in with a friend, you get he gets it once. That's it. It's, the game is over, or you just you have to look for you know uh, like your wife power up. So, yeah, we, we just decided that it just works better in this case. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: Hey, our last question. I want to talk about sound design and spot effects, simply. One of the most famous things about original Berserk was the audio taunting and the yelling by the creatures and the robots trying to, you know, say, well, why are you running away, Chicken? You know, uh, because I don't want to get eaten by Otto. But um, the threats and the taunting from the original game do remain. Of course they do. Why wouldn't they be there? They're one of the key points of the game. But, um, well, trade trademarks. If, um, but the sound design does more than that. Of course it does. Uh, Berserk Recharged, in that it also alerts the player to threats from where they're coming from, where the shots are coming from. The, the, the directional audio is, is very precise and sharp. Uh, can you talk us through how that? was developed was it symbiosis at the same time as the rest of it or is it coming after or was it before i don't know but it's really well done
1: um yeah i mean the audi is definitely always part of the games i think like uh, our ceo once said on one of the podcasts that uh, it makes up like 50 percent of the game uh so yeah I, i tend to agree to that um so yeah it was definitely a part of the process that we wanted to do Uh, So we worked uh, on it uh, from the start. Uh, When it comes to the robot voices, though, uh, that was definitely a request from Jason because people are like, guys, this needs to be in the game. Otherwise, uh, uh, uh." (laughs) uh-uh-uh. So, yeah, so that was definitely something we added uh, later down the line, not not something we started out with. Um, I have to say that there might be a bug still on some platforms where... Uh, you, you don't always hear the voices, but we're fixing that. Uh, Patch should be released quite soon. Uh, but to those who hear those uh, voices, uh, I'm happy that uh, we we managed to stay in the classic and that Jason still requested those. So yeah, that that was definitely added down later. Um, yeah, Jason, anything yeah.
2: to add to that? Yeah. Um. Yeah. I think I think when talking about sound design, you gotta you know going beyond the technical part of it. The The big driving message that kind of wanted to do from the beginning you know it's a game from 1980s it's an it's an arcade game from the 1980s and it's sci-fi so it's like the 80s camp sci-fi that's what we should be going for that is that is everything that should drive this and even in the visual style right you got kind of this goofy looking dude running around but he's actually modeled after the um after the key art that's why his hair kind of looks like that we're not I mean, maybe there's maybe is a big Conan fan. I don't know. But either way, I kind of liked how kind of goofy it looked. I'm like, yeah, because that's 80 sci-fi. Like, perfect. Do it. Um, you know, glowing, more glowing. And then more like, you know, the, the sounds should all evoke that feeling. And even to the music, you know, Megan McDuffie has done the original soundtracks for all of the uh, Recharge games so far. She's done original tracks for 10 games. Now it's insane that she's made uh, these songs. And they're always hits. I've, I've never given her notes for any song deliverable she's given. It's like she gives it to us and we're like, Well, yeah, that's perfect. Then done. Great. Perfect. Um and that's that's great. So I think that also helps reinforce the tone of the game and the spirit of what's trying to be done here. And yeah, that, that's that's all I really wanted to add on the on the sound side of things. Glad uh glad you like it.
0: No, I think it really makes the game. It makes it, it throws you back into it and shoot grabs your attention and, and laughs at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean-
1: yeah, I guess even like things like auto bouncing sound, we, we didn't yeah. even hit that on the on the first try. Uh, there were of course a few uh, back and forth between the teams, just you know, that maybe let's suggest this this is this doesn't completely sound right, just to get the whole feeling that, you know, it's an angry, funny ball, but not just, you know, something harmless. Just to get that feeling into the game. That that was also a, a discussion question.
0: Well, Berserk Recharge has been developed by uh, Sneaky Box. It's a great name. Where's it come from?
1: Oh, I'm not even sure about the backstory. Uh, I I think there was just like the guys who uh, founded this Sneaky Box. Uh, they uh, won one of the game contests, and to claim the prize, they had to have a company and. Uh, yeah, that's how it started, and then how they come came up with the name, I just don't have an idea.
0: <laughs> no, okay, I just love the idea of a box that's sneaky. It's kind of like Metal Gear Solid, only inverted. <laughs> they,
2: they have killer merch as it, too. They got like a they got a I got a logo plush cube thing, uh, like, a, like a stress a stress ball type thing with their uh, with the box. It's awesome.
0: I am jealous. So, and of course, it's published by Atari. Of course, it is. And right. uh, what platforms is it available on?
2: Oh, let me take a deep breath. It's on Switch, PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Series X and S, PC through uh, Steam and Epic. And that's available on Windows, Mac and Linux. So it runs great on Steam Deck. And it's on the Atari VCS.
0: All of the things, mate.
2: All of the things. If you own a box that could play a game, it'll probably work on it.
0: Probably. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jason and Vitatus, it's been wonderful having you on the show. It genuinely has. Very, it's great. You've been very open yeah, and honest nice. about, the, about the creation of uh, Berserk Recharged, which you know, I'm uh, really looking forward to playing yet more of it uh, because it's uh, been really taking up a lot of my time in a good way because uh, it's one of those games you can jump into for 20 minutes and then go on with something else. It's perfect for that. And uh, but you're more than welcome to come back to talk about what next you're working on, whatever it may be. We'll be here. Uh, we've had a lot of return guests over the years, um, and uh, but until then. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, thank you. It was uh, fun being here. And I think I'll take you up on that offer.
2: <laughs> thank you very much. Thanks for having us. It was great.
0: And there we are. It's a bit long, a bit longer than most episodes. We normally try to keep it to about sort of, three five minutes to half an hour. But, you know, thanks for sticking around and listening to the end. It's always appreciated. Next week in episode 479, we're going to be talking about Ziggy's Cosmic Adventures. This is a VR game set in space where you're in this little tiny, tiny spaceship which is constantly breaking down and your main source of fuel is a little creature called Ziggy. I'm not going to go any further than that. You're going to find out more next week while I chat to Alex Clark and Lee Stewart of Stardust Collective, the creators of Ziggy's Cosmic Adventures, and ask them how they made this very strange game. So, till then, bye! You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website, caneandrinse.com.